Good morning. Welcome to Wyatt. I'm one of the pastors here, Brother Adam. Um, it's good uh, to have you with us. Um, just a little note, there's a connection card in our bulletin as a way for you. You can communicate with us if you want to have a prayer request. Uh, you can fill that out and uh, put that on the offering plate later if you would like uh, as a guest to let us know a little bit more about you and that you are here. We'd love for you to fill that out if you... Uh, if you're a first-time guest, um, we'd love to send you a gift to let you know how much we appreciate you being here. Uh, one more uh, thing I want to, just housekeeping as you're turning to John chapter 1. Uh, connection groups will start back next Sunday, our uh, eight-week term, fall term of uh, connection groups. And uh, we've got a really exciting year. Uh, we've, we've got uh, some new people that have never done connection groups that are coming in. We've got some changing in leadership, so... It's a great time uh, if you've never been in that ministry to, uh, to try that ministry out. You can sign up uh, online. So John chapter 1, we're going to start reading with verse 35 and we're going to close out this chapter. It says this, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. Uh, that 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 heard who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, "We have found the Messiah, which means Christ." He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon." the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, to, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there, was no, there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the Word of God. Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we look at the calling of your first five disciples, help us to learn from them. Help us to learn what uh, we need to be doing and how we need to live our lives by uh, looking at these men. In Jesus' name I pray, 
Amen. So this is the story of how the first five disciples came to follow Christ. Uh, just a very brief summary of kind of what happens. Two disciples who were John, uh, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, uh, began to follow Christ. Now, um, the two disciples, one of them is unnamed, one of them is Andrew. The one that is unnamed, most people think, is probably John, who was writing this gospel. John just kind of had a tendency to do that. He didn't name himself uh, directly, and so a lot of people... Most people believe that, that he's actually referring to his calling at this moment. And then Andrew goes out and finds his brother Simon and brings him to Jesus. Jesus, of course, uh, says you're going to be called Peter, uh, who we're very familiar with, probably the most familiar with of the, the disciples. And then Jesus goes and finds a man named Philip, and then Philip goes out and finds Nathaniel. And as we look at the calling of these five disciples, I want you to learn this from their story. This is what I want you to learn. Though we are very different people who come to Christ in different ways, we become united as disciples in our desire to know Christ and to make Him known. So first I want to look at, the, the, the first disciples demonstrate that there are many means which people come to Christ, that, that that God calls people in different ways. We see that some here he calls them through the preaching of the preacher. Uh, Andrew and the other disciple uh, came to Christ through the proclamation of John the Baptist. They had likely been men that had sat under John's teaching, and, 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 and John was, of course, to prepare the way for Christ. And so he suddenly says, hey, there he is. And they're gone, right? Like he had been a great discipler, John had, because at that moment, he had prepared them, he had told them about Christ, and once he pointed Christ out, that was it. And again, we see John's humility of not being concerned about, about himself and about losing a disciple's his disciples and we see we know that that god many times saves people through the preaching of his word sometimes in big settings i uh just a, a while ago when we uh put miss wilma adams to rest I, I i'm sure i'd heard this but i'd forgotten it that she was converted at a billy graham crusade and many of us could give testimony of us being under the preaching of God's Word in a church, and, and we felt under conviction uh, by the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and we came to Christ. And though primary, uh, primarily to me, preaching on Sunday morning is primarily to be for the edification of the saints. I believe that. I believe that that, that is the primary uh, reason that we preach on Sunday mornings, but I believe a strong thing that should be happening in sun, on Sunday morning for the preacher is the realization that there are lost people. And therefore, the gospel should be proclaimed and, 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 and preaching should be done with that in view. And we should expect lost people to come to Christ through the preaching of God's Word. 
when people are gathered and God's word is proclaimed, it has a potential to save those who are lost. Preaching is powerful. Whether it's from the preacher in the pulpit or a crusade or just the public proclamation of God's word. We also see that that sometimes people are converted through the witness of those who are saved. We see both Peter and Nathaniel come to Christ because someone that loved them came and told them about Christ. The large majority of people come to Christ because someone in their life loves them enough to introduce them to Christ. Parents often introduce Christ to their children, or hopefully that's what's going on in the home, that, that, that the, those, those kids that you love are being introduced to Christ through their relationship with you as their parent. And I would imagine that even those who are oftentimes saved under the preaching of the Word, most of them didn't just wander in off the streets. Many of them were invited. Many of them, uh, I imagine Miss Wilma was in that Billy Graham crusade because a friend or someone, a family member invited because they cared about her. So we see oftentimes as with these men, they're introduced to Christ just quietly, just someone coming to them and saying, you got to see what I saw. And then sometimes it's the supernatural pursuit of Christ that, man, he just runs somebody down. We see this in the life of Philip. So I think sometimes, I think maybe this is an indication that in case we get too haughty and thinking that, oh, it's, you know, it's the preacher that saves people or it's, hey, it's me. I'm the one that goes out and I, I, I proclaim Christ. We see in Philip is just a man that, I mean, Christ goes to him and finds him, and, can, and, and he's converted. Uh, I listened to a long interview uh, that was posted in the wake of R.C. Sproul's passing, this great uh, teacher uh, of the Bible. Uh, and it was interesting to hear him tell his conversion story. He was in, a student in college, had no interest in religion, um, and he, uh, he goes out to his car with his roommate, he realizes, I'm out of cigarettes. And so he goes into the cigarette machine, that shows you how long ago the cigarette machine, I guess in the dorm, uh, goes to the cigarette machine, there's just a guy there at a table just posing some questions about God. And those questions just begin to marinate in his mind, and he went out with his roommate, and he came back to his dorm room, and he said, man, it was just, this, I fell under the, the conviction of the Spirit and just the things that I had been taught about God throughout my life just came rushing in and, and I was just converted there in just a little spark from someone else. I was converted there by myself in my dorm room. While God loves using the preacher and the lay Christian, sometimes, and he just, run somebody down and I'm thankful that he does that there are great testimonies of of people that just weren't looking no one was looking for them no preacher was preaching to them and 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 God came to them uh, with his word and convicted them so we see these different ways that these disciples came to Christ and we realize that there are many ways 
that we receive the gospel and come to Christ. The first uh, disciples also demonstrate um, that God calls very different people to follow Him. Um, the thing that is true of the the, 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 the one thing that kind of unites these guys is their or, just how ordinary they are. I mean, the disciples, Jesus did not go and find the top of the Pharisees, or the top of the religious people. I mean, he went out and found the most mundane, normal, the fishermen, the tax collector, the, the nobodies. And he went out and he, he called them to himself. And really, throughout his ministry to them, they're still not all that impressive. It's only after the resurrection that we see them really begin to get it and really begin to understand their calling we see philip here he was we see throughout scripture that philip he was the facts and figures kind of guy a very practical minded guy and almost pessimistic and and just narrowly focused he would be the guy at work that man you get together and someone's presenting this amazing expansion plan for the business and uh or here at the church just this great idea that someone has, Philip would say, what's it going to cost? He would be over there with a calculator saying, ah, I don't know if that's possible. That was Philip. He was very practically minded. We see this in, in the feeding of the 5,000. He's the one that they're trying to figure out how we're going to feed all these people. He's the one over there that figures out the figures like, this is how much money we have. We could even give everybody a bite. It's like, thank you, Philip, for that insight. It's like, like we didn't know. We had few resources and many people. That was his only um, addition to the problem. John 12 has these Greeks that come to, to see Jesus. Um, and, and so they're Gentiles. And so it's like there was no... no kind of process like how how do i take gentiles to jesus like what do i need to do here and so he just kind of freaks out and he takes them to as we'll see he takes them to andrew and andrew will introduce them to christ then we have nathaniel we know very little about nathaniel other than that the fact uh, he was probably a fairly good student of the word because philip uh, will go out and, and talk to Nathaniel and say, listen, man, I figured out what it is that we've been learning about in the Old Testament under Moses and the prophets, so uh, you need to come and, and see this man. And so he was probably maybe someone that had studied with Philip, a friend of his, and so he was uh, probably a good student of the Word of God. But we see mostly of what we see of Nathaniel, because so little is mentioned about him in Scripture, we see kind of how he starts here in this conversion experience. He says, his reply to Philip, when Philip says, hey, come see Jesus, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's, it's kind of a rude question um, and kind of humorous at the same time. He's basically saying, can anything come out of that podunk place you're telling me the Savior of the world came from there? I'm having trouble believing that. And yet we see in verse 47, when Jesus meets Nathanael, and he sees him coming towards him, he says to him, 
Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Jesus isn't worried about his questions, even if it's a kind of a rude question about Jesus. Like, I hate your hometown. You, you can't be that great. Like, what he says about him is there is no deceit in him. In other words, man, he's just a seeker. He's someone that's trying to figure it out. He's asking questions. He's not trying to be someone he's not. He just wants to know the answer to some questions that he has. Sometimes we, folks, we don't need to get offended when people are asking questions. Okay? It doesn't, I mean, sometimes it may be an atheist that's just trying to poke at us, and, and that happens sometimes, but sometimes it's just someone sincerely who has questions before they're going to follow Christ, and that's fine. And God is big enough to handle our questioning. So we see here that, that Jesus uh, commends Nathaniel for, for, for what he's done, and even in his questioning. But the sharpest con- contrast in these initial disciples exists between the two brothers mentioned here, um, Andrew and Peter. We see that they have a very different way of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Uh, Andrew is a quiet evangelist. Andrew was a man who seemed to see val- the value of the individual. The first thing he does after knowing Christ was to go get his brother Peter. And he, he just said, you know what? I've got to go tell my brother Peter about, this, about Christ. I've got to go do it. And so he, he wants to go find this individual. Um, and, and we see uh, it was Andrew in the feeding of the 5,000 while Philip's over there crunching the numbers saying, yeah, we can't do this. It's Andrew who goes out in the crowd and, and, and looks around and he finds a little boy with some fish and with some loaves. And he says, hey, boy, why don't you come with me? And he, and he takes him to Jesus. He was one that didn't just look upon a, a crowd of people and say, look at all these mouths to feed. He was someone scanning for the individuals that, that might be uh, helpful. When the, as we said, when the Greeks come to Philip, and Philip's like, I don't really know what to do with the Gentile coming to see Jesus. I, I'm, I'm confused as to... The process here, uh, Andrew, he takes him to Andrew because he knows Andrew's a guy that has no problem taking people to Jesus. Then we have Peter, his brother, who's the crusader. Peter, on the other hand, was one who preached to thousands on Pentecost. He was the one who could boldly uh, proclaim Christ to a crowd of people and seeming without any fear whatsoever. And I ask you, which one is the more faithful evangelist for Christ? Which one is the more faithful evangelist for Christ? The one who proclaims Christ in front of a crowd boldly or the one who just quietly is introducing people to Jesus? Well, of course, the answer is neither are more faithful evangelists. They are both evangelists that are being faithful to proclaim Christ to others. Andrew, in seeing more the individual, and Peter more seeing the crowd. And not that, not that Peter didn't share Christ one-on-one, he certainly did that. But it seemed to be Andrew that just had a heart to see the individual. 
And let us not forget that it's the low-key whispering witness of Andrew that brings in Peter the Crusader. I cherish the story of the conversion of D.L. Moody. Do you know, you probably know the name D.L. Moody. You've probably heard that if you've been in church. Have you heard the name Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher. And D.L. Moody was uh, a rough one. He was a hyperactive kid that was hard to control. And he, Kimball knew this guy does not know Christ. And so Kimball is, is walking one day, and he's walking by the shoe place that, uh, that D.L. Moody was working in. And, and Kimball says this testimony that, that he was scared to death, but he felt like he said, my, my guy that's in my Sunday school class that I know doesn't know Christ, he's in there, and I think I need to go tell him about Christ. And he began to think, what are people going to think about me? What are the people that, other workers in the plant? And he said, I just got to do it. And so he said, I just, I just didn't think about it. I just ran through the door and I ran over to D.L. Moody and I, and I just proclaimed a very weak presentation, talked to him a little bit about the love of Christ. And D.L. Moody was converted. And how many people, D.L. Moody, who was more of the crusader, right, that went out and proclaimed to to thousands of people, formed an institute that trained missionaries and evangelists. There's no telling how many people came to Christ under D.L. Moody's ministry, but it came in the quiet, timid witness of a Sunday school teacher. Or Spurgeon, converted by some guy whose name is actually lost to history. In a snowstorm, he, he goes into an old church to... To, to just seek, uh, at a prayer meeting, just to seek some refuge from the snowstorm. The preacher was snowed in. Just some guy gets up, Spurgeon says, gives one of the weakest proclamations of the gospel he's ever heard, and yet what happens? It converts Spurgeon. And we all know how amazing of a preacher that Spurgeon was. Well, it started with some, some guy. Some guy who said, you know, the word needs to be proclaimed even though the preacher snowed in. And the fact of the matter is, is that the kingdom needs both Andrews and Peters to advance the gospel of Christ. We need both. We see them in the, in the way that they lead. Peter loved the limelight. And Christ knew that eventually Peter's zealousness would be a tool for the gospel and the spreading of the early church. But he at times had a tendency to get in trouble because he was always so quick to take the lead or to, to, to say something. And so at times he drew criticism from Christ, but Christ, again, also knew that that boldness in the end was going to be great for the early church. Andrew, on the other hand, like to live in the background. We see at times he seems to be just outside of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, but not very far. So like he's this 
you know, you've got the inner three. It seems like Andrew is maybe just one step outside of the inner three because sometimes it's the four. Every once in a while, the four is mentioned as well, and it includes Andrew. He's only mentioned nine times by himself. And he was close to Christ, it seems. He, he's, he was the one. I mean, why else would Philip come and, uh, and say, hey, can you bring these Greeks to Jesus? He knew Andrew's closeness to Christ. We see James and John and Peter giving Jesus these eye-rolling moments of jockeying for the top position. Andrew's never in those debates. He speaks little, but when he speaks, the Bible seems to indicate that he speaks rightly and acts rightly. You ever been in a meeting and you got that guy that guy that just doesn't say much. And everyone is all the educated and, and all the smartest people in the room, and they're all throwing around the problem for forever. And then the guy's just taking it in. And then he just kind of says, or the, or the lady just says, what about this? Gives a couple of sentences, and it's like, oh, yeah. Why did you speak up an hour ago? Like that was kind of Andrew, the guy that just kind of took it all in, and he didn't he didn't rush to speak, but when he spoke, it was good stuff. Proverbs ten nineteen, he was that kind of guy. When words are many, transgressions is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so he was. Peter got into trouble some because he had many words. He had a lot of good words, but he had a lot of bad words. But Andrew was very careful and, and was fine out of the limelight. Again, who is the more faithful disciple? Neither. They're both excellent disciples of Christ. They're not wrong, they're just different. Peter's boldness and quick tongue would eventually serve the kingdom very well. Andrew's willingness to live in the background also served the kingdom well. The kingdom needs both those who have no fear of being at the center of the stage and those who humbly serve off stage and don't care if anyone but God sees them. We need both those people. We need people that aren't afraid of a crowd and yet people who don't need a crowd to do the work of God. We need both those types of disciples. We see that the first dem disciples demonstrate the the similarities of all disciples, which is knowing Christ and making Him known to others. Uh, that last point, um, they just demonstrated that God calls all disciples to the same purpose. And the first of that purpose is a passion to know Christ. They followed Jesus. We see here the great groundwork that John the Baptist had laid for his disciples. We we saw last week that he proclaimed he was preaching Christ and then he, the very next day it says he, he, he says to his two disciples, these two disciples says, that's him and they go. And they go, they follow Christ. This should be the aim for all discipleship. Eventually for us to maybe reach somebody for Christ, hopefully, and, and, and teach them how to read the Bible. And teach them how to obey Christ and then eventually say, go, go. 
You can't, it's not about me forever. It's about following Christ. That should be our heart. And these two disciples begin to follow Christ. There's a question of motives that Christ poses to them. As they follow, started following, Jesus turned and he asked them a simple question What are you seeking? What are you seeking, guys? What's going on? What, what are you seeking? We know, that, um, we know that Jesus cared about motives. We'll see this in just a few chapters from now. After the feeding of the 5,000, this huge crowd begins to follow Jesus. And he says, Man, all you're doing is following me because you had a nice meal. Like, it matters to Christ. He doesn't just want people following him for any reason. He wants to know, what is your motive for following me? And so I wonder if you might this morning just roll that question around in your own mind. What are you seeking from Jesus? Roll it around. Are you seeking miracles? Maybe He would do some great things in your life, bring prosperity give you some promotions and just do some good stuff for you? Some answered prayers? Is that why you follow Christ? So that, that maybe He'll give you the things that you ask for? Is it to fix your marriage? I come to church and I follow Christ so that He'll fix my marriage or make my marriage better. Is it, is it nice kids? I come to church and I put my kids in youth groups and maybe they won't be on drugs and maybe they won't get pregnant out of wedlock and so they'll be nice kids. Are you following Christ because you want heaven? I don't know how you would re- respond to such a question, but I believe the response the disciples gave was a great one. And the interesting thing is is that they answer his question with their own question. He says, what are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? What are they seeking? They're seeking the presence of Jesus. What are we seeking? We're seeking to be wherever you are. Wherever you're staying tonight, that's where we're going. Where are we going? Is it under a tree? Is it at someone's house? Is it in a cardboard box? We don't care. We want to be where you are. We want the presence of God. The number one object we should be seeking Christ for is Christ Himself. To know Him. Christ should never primarily be a means to an end. Christ Himself is the end. Will God answer prayers? Yes. Can He help you heal your marriage? Yes, He can. Can He help your kids be nice? Yes, He could. Will He give you heaven? Sure He will. Christ says no one who's left anything for Me will not be be given in this life and in the life to come tenfold what they've left. Hundredfold what they've left. But these are the benefits of those 
who seek Christ Himself. So it's good, it's right to think about our motives and why are we following Christ and maybe ask ourselves, am I truly seeking Him? Or am I seeking the stuff that He can give me? These disciples said, hey, we're seeking You. Where are You staying? It's a beautiful, beautiful response. We also see in these disciples not just a desire to know Christ, they immediately have a desire to make Christ known. Both Andrew and Philip, their first response in knowing Jesus is to go to someone that they love and to make Him known to those people. In the immediate aftermath of their own decision to follow Christ, this is their immediate response. I need to tell my brother Peter. I gotta go tell him that I found Christ, I found the Christ. And Philip's like, you know who would really enjoy these truths? This truth is, is Nathaniel, who I studied the scriptures with growing up. I gotta go tell him that that person we heard about is here. Their immediate response was to bear witness. And I was a bit convicted by this observation. In the church, we often, we were asked by new converts, what now? Like, how do I grow? Like, what do I need to do now? And usually it's, hey, get into Sunday school class. Or join connection groups. Or uh, have a quiet time every day. Go work in the nursery. Get a feel for serving in the church. But should we not first say, go and tell everyone you love about what just happened? That's the first step. It's not something you do years from now. It's something you do right in this moment of of coming to know Christ. Listen to me, people. To bear witness to Christ, you need no minister credentials. You need no Bible degree. All you need to proclaim Christ to a sinner is an acquaintance with Him yourself. That is all you need. You are an equipped evangelist not years after your conversion. You're an equipped evangelist Moments, minutes after your conversion. Should we grow in our knowledge? Yes. Should we get better at presenting the gospel? Sure we should. should. But know that the most powerful tool in your evangelistic arsenal will always be who Christ is, what He's done, and what He's done for you personally. You can go get any type of degree in apologetics and, and, and how to prove that, that God created everything. You can go get all kinds of, you can go to all kinds of seminars to be better equipped, but know that the greatest tool you will ever have is the tool you have the moment of your conversion, and that is that you know Christ, you know what He's done, and He's done it for you. That's what you need to go out and proclaim Christ to others. Any 
converted person possesses those things. And so though we are very different people who come to Christ, and we come to Christ in different ways, we, when we become Christ's disciples, become united in our desire to know Christ experience His presence, to know Him through His Word, to know Him through prayer, to know Him more, and united in our desire as disciples to make Him known to others. We're all different from one another. We all came to Christ in various ways, but now that we are His disciples, we are unified in our mission to know God and make Him known. We are to do this through loving God, loving others, and making disciples. As God multiplied Himself into these three five initial men, we are to multiply ourselves and others. Let us be those who, like these men, pursue Christ and then introduce Him to others. That is the nature of a true disciple. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't doesn't know You, God, that they would come to know You through Your Word this morning, through the Gospel of what Christ did. And God, I pray for all of us as disciples, God, that we would be characterized as those who know you, who desire your presence. Yes, we, enjoy, we want to enjoy all the benefits of knowing you, God, but knowing you comes first and foremost. And God, help us to be people that do not take the wonderful truths of the gospel and keep them for ourselves. God, help us to go and proclaim your amazing, beautiful Christ to all the world, of all the people we love and all the people we come in contact with. Help us to realize it's just as simple as telling them who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.